and welcome everybody to episode four of the 2023 season of Trav Chat. <clears throat> my name is IMCF Traveler, and I'm here with my co-host George. George, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well, my friend. How are you doing? Now I'm, you know, feeling good. You know, happy I'm not going to New York City this weekend. Uh, you know, ready to sit down and watch a game from the couch. Yeah, I mean, well, the last couple things you made up there have not been uh, very great for the team. So maybe this will, maybe this will spur a better Yeah, I mean, me and New York City just have a bad between last playoff elimination. Uh, the match for that was Raylo decided to put a boot through Andre Reyes's chest. And then, I think it was in 21, I went up for a New York City match. And we were in the stadium for like three and a half hours. And then they called the match off because of lightning. So, me and New York City do not get along. Well, let's hope that with a new season and with you taking a traveling break, um, we will see better results than we have uh, in the Big Apple in the past. Yeah, I'm certainly hopeful. But before we dive too far into that, <clears throat> Miami's coming off a pretty massive 2 nothing win over uh, Philly at home this weekend, a match that many, including many on this uh, podcast last week, you know, didn't really think Miami was going to manage a win, and many thought that you know a draw, yeah, but a outright dominant win, many did not expect. So Miami went out and got goals from Coco Jean and goal of the year, in my opinion, from Robert Taylor to get a another two nothing win to start off the season. Yeah, um, you know I. I have to kind of raise my hand and say, you know, I put a prediction out there that I didn't think that we were going to win. Um, you know, after watching week one, I felt more confident about a tie, but I was, I was deeply impressed with the performance that we put out there. I thought that there may, may have been some uh, lineup shifting from, you know, a rotation from, from Philly going into this with CCL, you know, this week. And that didn't happen. They, you know, Jim Curtin put out his his best eleven, and they came out and they came ready to play, and we matched their intensity. And you know, because of two absolutely stunning, beautiful goals, um, you know, we walked away with with a win. And I think that it's a it's a statement win for this team. Um, they're really showing that they are uh, energized coming into this season and and want to really you know put their mark on this league and and quiet some of the doubters yeah i mean you know miami now two games into it has scored four goals and allowed none and all four of those goals have come from players who aren't necessarily stars in this lineup i mean Oh, game one, it came from Sergei Kristov and Shandir Borjling. Game two, it came from Coco Jean and Robert Taylor. So these are four guys that, while yes, they're expected to produce, none of them are expected to be the ones to be winning games for us, especially when this team has Josef Martinez and Leo Campana 
So it's really nice to see that secondary scoring this early in the year. Yeah, and that's something that this team has missed is reliable options outside of our superstars um, to to you know have guys that are threatening and and that is a really nice improvement. It's something that I'm I'm really excited to see happen early in this season. I think Phil either post game or maybe a day or so after, you know, was talking about this team and how he believes that they have another 20, 30% more to give, to show. And, you know, listening to those comments, you know, I think it's pretty obvious that it's not just about the players who aren't on the field, like a Leo, but, or, you know, what may come in the summer, but the ability for the guys that are playing right now to meet their best level together as a unit. Um, and, you know, and that is Stefanelli, Joseph, Coco, Pizarro, you know, getting those guys to really kind of gel and show what they have um, at their top level. I think Phil expects more. And I think that's what he's signaling is say that like, this is working, but he truly does believe that there's another level. And I, and I agree. I think, Stefanelli clearly isn't hundred percent. He's not, he's not there yet. Joseph, same thing. We know what Joseph's level can be. The question all off season. And now, you know, two games in is can, what is his level going to be? You know, is he going to be 2019 Joseph or is he going to be at least better than, you know, 21 22 joseph like we we still don't know what we have there but i don't think it's all his fault i don't think it's all his fitness you know he's not getting progressive balls played into him in dangerous positions i think there were opportunities in this game to do that um and i think we'll talk about that a little bit more later on but you know it's about the gelling and you know when we look back to last season sorry i'm going long but when we look back to last season you know the first five games was that this team figuring out who they were playing with and we brought back most of that roster and we injected, you know, new players and new talents on top of that. So those guys are trying to catch up, but you know, to really kind of anchor this team, you're seeing what Mota and Gregory are doing after playing with each other for a year. And, and they've been absolutely impressive. And I, I didn't see that tandem being this good. And and I'm gonna leave it at that right now because I'm kind of rambling. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean I agree with everything, and you know I think Phil's comments were, you know, kind of directed at guys like Stefanelli and Josef. These are two guys that oh, they have more to give. We've seen oh in their prior form that they do have more to give, so. You know, obviously both of them are coming back up to fitness. And, you know, in terms of Hosef, he hasn't, you know, either gotten the service from a guy like Stefanelli or Pizarro in the midfield behind him. And in my opinion, it's more so he hasn't really had somebody to play with. You know, we've played really more of a, like, 4-2-3-1 versus the two striker formation that Phil talked all preseason about. And I think that when Leo Campana comes back 
and plays alongside Josef, that's going to unlock kind of both of them because they truly are different types of strikers. I mean, Leo Campana is a big target forward, while Josef Martinez is smaller and the type of guy who can get in behind. So it's going to be very interesting when they come back, and I think those two are going to be key to unlocking each other, even if they don't have a true number 10 playmaker behind them. So, Trav, let me ask you this. Um, You know, the comments today from Phil were, Campana is a weaker, is still a week or two away. Um, You know, Joseph is still probably, you know, another two or three weeks from being fully 90 minutes fit. Stefanelli, you know, probably again, another two or three games until he's fully 90 minutes fit. Um, You know, I don't anticipate, you know, Leo and and Josef to be on the same page from the jump. How would you want to approach over the next three games integrating them into this lineup? Do you want to see Neville just go for it? You know, like pull the Band-Aid off, switch formations, yank one of the midfielders off of the, you know, off of the starting 11 and inject Leo right in? Or do you want to see something a little bit more gradual? You know, Joseph playing 60 minutes, Leo coming on, playing 30 minutes, waiting until maybe we we hit a skid where we have a couple of draws or a couple of losses before we change tactical formations. Like, what do you, how would you approach it? And what do you think Phil's going to do? I would approach it in that first week that Josef and Leo are both available. I would take my time with Leo. And that's honestly what I think the club is going to do. Because at this point, why fix what ain't broke? You know, Miami's winning. We're winning games in good fashions. You know, it's not 2022 Miami where, you know, we would win a game in the 90, you know, third, 94th, 95th minute. So I would definitely turn around and kind of ease Leo back in and, you know, play Josef 60 minutes and then bring on Leo for the final 30. And then once both of them are truly 100% fit, then, yeah, you know, take out a guy like, you know, Coco Jean and move to that kind of four four two diamond with Josef and Campana both up top, Stefanelli behind them, Malta, Gregory, Pizarro in the midfield. So that's what I would do, you know, looking at this team, looking how we're playing and kind of seeing where we are injury-wise. Now, for me, the bigger question is, what does Miami do this weekend, especially with the news that uh, Robbie Robinson, Shandir Borgelin are both day-to-day right now. Uh, Franco Negri is a major doubt, but Phil believes he will play. And Leo Campana out until at least next week. And Jake LaCava nowhere to be seen. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a good question. I think that the um you know the the 4231 that we've seen is a different formation than the wide, you know, the true wide winger style formation that we were playing a lot of last year. Um given that, you know, we're going into you know Yankee Stadium, you know, that 
very narrow pitch. I think that what this midfield has shown is that we don't need to play. We don't need to attack with width from the midfield forward that this team does feel comfortable with the wide play of Yedlin and Negri um, to give that support moving forward. And I think that we might actually see a better version of our team on a narrow pitch um, than we've ever seen inter Miami, you know, in, in this kind of environment before, because I think that the spine of this team, you know, especially considering how well Mota is linking between um, Coco and Pizarro and is playing that a little bit more progressive than Gregory, but still being kind of that defensive spine um, and playing that stopper role and covering so well, you know, the left and right flanks as a unit that, you know, I think that this team is actually better set up to play in this environment than we've ever been before. And it's going to be interesting because New York, you know, I've, I've been, you know, I watched the Nashville game. Um, I've spent some time watching, you know, their game from last week and, you know, it's, it's a different team and it's, I, I really don't know what to anticipate with them, but, you know, I think that the, that formationally what we've seen the first two weeks is going to be successful. Like that, that the, the deficiencies that playing New York on the road present typically aren't going to be as impactful as they usually are with this formation and this lineup. Yeah. I mean, now I, I agree this Miami team is better suited to play narrow this year. Well, Molta and Gregory have both shown that <clears throat> this year, you know, when we're on the attack, Yedlin and Negri are pushing high and Molter and Gregory are both then dropping deep to basically give Miami a back four at all times, despite the two uh, fullbacks pushing high. So it's really interesting to see that for Miami, and especially going up against a team that, you know, yes, we have had problems with. You know, we've had problems with New York City FC. I believe we've only beat them once, and it was because of Alejandro Pozuelo. But, you know, this is also a changed NYCFC team. You know, they're, they only just re-added Santi Rodriguez. Uh, they also just re-added James Sands. And despite those additions, you know, this NYCFC team is, you know, without a true nine. They've been playing Talis Magno up there. He's not a nine. Uh well, they've been playing Matias Pellegrini, former Inter-Miami player, at the number 10. He's nowhere close to number 10. You know, they lost one of their starting center backs. They lost their starting goalie. And coming into this match, you know, NYCFC hasn't looked great. You know, they drew a wooden spoon contender team in the Chicago Fire. And they lost to Nashville SC in their first match. So... Now, this is one of those times I feel kind of a bit more confident about Miami going up to Yankee Stadium or City Field, wherever we're playing, whatever baseball diamond we're playing on this week, and you know, actually getting a result. Yeah, I agree. I'm I am more confident, especially after the last two weeks and starting to see the patterns of play. 
I'm more confident not just in our ability to get a result and, and a win here, but I'm more confident in more I believe more in this team than I did preseason. Because now I'm seeing I'm seeing the um, actual results, you know, on the field and I and I really think that there's something enjoyable about this squad. And that and I think that's one of the things that as as fans we've been missing is kind of the joy, uh, the the joy of watching a team play good soccer. This was a grinding team for many years, you know, and like you talked about earlier, you know, those one nothing wins where we're hitting, you know, miracle shots in the ninety third minute to pull out a one nil one nil win in the middle of summer. This team isn't playing like that. You know, some of the, our goals last weekend were spectacular but we weren't terribly goal dangerous besides those moments, but you still feel better about how this team is playing and what they're showing us. And so, yeah, I think, you know, this is, you know, you know, Miami fans have every reason to feel confident going into this game. I wouldn't say cocky, but I would say confident, Um, you know, and, you know, in New York just isn't showing much, you know, and I mean, I watched a lot of that fire game, um, you know, the night that, that they were on, you know, last weekend. And I just wasn't seeing, you know, entertaining, you know, dangerous patterns of play between those two sides. There wasn't a lot between them. Um, Pellegrini hasn't looked very good. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with him um, because I do believe that he's a very talented player and I want him to succeed, but yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're still finding their identity and I think they're probably still waiting for more reinforcements to come. I, I think that this is truly a rebuilding season for them. Yeah, a couple of interesting stats heading into this weekend. <clears throat> Not only can Inter-Miami open the season with three wins on Saturday, but they can also become the first team in league history to beat each of the top three finishing teams in their conference from the previous year and the first three match days of the current season. A reminder, Philly finished top of the East last year. Montreal was in second. New York City FC was in third. So that would be a you know huge history-writing accomplishment for Miami. And then on top of that, only six goalies in MLS history have kept three consecutive clean sheets to start a campaign. Drake Callender could be number seven on Saturday with the two clean sheets he's already held. Also... Miami should come into this game confident, you know, not cocky, but definitely confident and, you know, really shouldn't have any reason like in years past where, you know, we went to uh, New York City and, you know, either got rattled early or couldn't play on the narrow pitch or so on and so forth. This year, this Miami team feels like a team that can find a way to grind out a win and get points in a rather, not necessarily hostile, but unfriendly uh, stadium and atmosphere to do it in. So, I mean, I do feel confident going into this weekend, and I feel like this is a team that, you know, despite the plethora of injuries we already have already and a poor history up in New York City, I do feel confident in our ability to go there and at least get some sort of a result. So as we're talking about this, um, what 
you know, I think looking at the at, at kind of the essence of this team, like what what are you seeing that has changed, or what are you hearing that has changed internally? Because you know, this is it feels different, right, Trav? Like this isn't this isn't the teams that we have been you know watching for the last three seasons. They're playing with more joy. They they do seem to really like each other, and I mean, and I don't want to get into you know the Pizarro Iguain stuff, but I think there's something more than just that. You know, I I think these guys have bought into Phil and into this idea, you know, into the ideas that he's bringing to this team, into what the identity is. Like, you know, can you shed a little bit of light on what it is that is kind of making this core team and this chemistry work so well, and like what they're feeding off of? The biggest thing is just the fact that so much of this team already knows each other. Now, going into last season, Miami had just a tremendous amount of turnover still. They still had a lot of truly big personalities on the squad. And that led to a lot of, all right, let's get to know each other time. And we saw that reflect in the results at the beginning of last year where uh, oh, Miami managed one point in their first five games. And this year they are playing a lot more free. They're playing with joy. They're playing oh, happy. And you know, a lot of that comes down to just the fact that they know each other already. We've had a year for guys like you know, Campana, Drake, Mabika, Gregory, Malta to set the culture for this Miami side and you know, Miami, this window only brought people in if they could fit into that culture. And a big reason why Miami decided to keep Rodolfo Pizarro was because he came and he immediately bought into this culture. Now he is playing arguably the best he's played since before Gonzalo Higuain arrived. And it's showing on the field, you know, he Already has, I believe, a one assist on the season and is just all over the place. He is challenging for every ball. He is making plays. He's running off the ball. He's doing everything he needs to do. So this Miami team is the definition of a team that's bought in. They've bought into the culture that Phil Neville's built. They've bought into... Now, just what this team is trying to build culture-wise, which is, you know, in, in terms of building a team, arguably the most important thing there is. You know, you can look at a squad like, uh, we'll go overseas for this one, like PSG. PSG has arguably the greatest starting 11 roster in the world right now on paper. However, they just got dumped out in UCL. There's multiple rumors of infighting among the team. Oh, Neymar's out for four months. Messi's probably leaving this summer. He'll probably be followed by guys like Ramos. And oh, despite this, you know, awesome team on paper, they haven't done anything with it. And that solely comes down to the fact that, you know, they built this culture and not everybody bought into it, and it's affected them negatively on and off the pitch. So that's the really big thing that Phil Neville and this Miami team have done. 
And and do you think that I mean because you know we've we've been hearing for the last you know two seasons since Phil's arrival you know he came as you know Beckham's friend and he's a nepotism hire he didn't he didn't earn this he didn't deserve this but you know while I think obviously those relationships have you know matter as far as getting him in the door and into this position his history isn't just his relationship with Beckham. His history is, you know, being a starting member of one of the most dominant teams of the nineties and early two thousands and having come through a youth system and having, you know, played under one of the greatest coaches of all time. And he wasn't a superstar. He was a glue guy. He was a hard worker. He was, you know, he, he did, he did the dirty work and he, and, he was appreciated by, you know, those fans and that club for the work that he did. And I think that that is probably what wasn't being talked about with regards to Phil over the last two seasons, as far as what he brings. And I think we're seeing the, the fruits of the trust of that system that, yeah, he's friends with Beckham, but he, but they also played together. You know, they, they bled for each other. They, they won together. They lifted trophies together. They did incredible things together. And I think that, you know, in building the team, in building the identity of what, of what this team needs to be, Beckham wanted somebody who, to come in and say, you know, who knows what it's like to come th- up through the youth ranks, to work hard, and to bring the identity for a soccer club that he, that he wanted to, to see in his club. And I think that had more to do. I think Neville was working his way to that at his other stops before he got here. And in just giving him the time to do it, we're starting to see it pay off. And I think that that, you know, soccer is one of those sports that, that coaches don't get that much time anymore. They don't get, they don't get a long leash, giving him the ability and the time to build his squad um, pairing him with somebody like Chris Henderson and have making sure that they're on the same page as far as what the identity is. Um, and then letting, letting Phil manage the men and, and, ha- and, and being able to make those connections. I mean, you know, we didn't talk about the athletic article uh, when it dropped, you know, a few weeks ago, but if you either, if you read it or you listen to the, the audio recording that w- that was released after the fact, you listen to how Phil talks about this team and about how he talks about man management, you know, he's, he's realistic and he's upfront and he's very candid about, yeah, I don't, I can't treat every man on this team the same. You know, I, you know, some guys are going to have to have a little bit more leeway and I have to approach some guys in a different way than I approach, than I approach others. I can't, there's no uniform way to do this, but his openness and talking about it, I think, shows an authenticity that he's he's sharing to us and if he's being able to be authentic to us on the outside then when he's having these closer relationships with his players he's probably building an even larger um basis of of trust and control of this team because these guys are buying in because they say because he's able to look them in the eye and say i know that i'm doing it this way and i want you to do it that way and we need in having them buy into that. And I think that that's, he needs to get a lot of credit 
um, for where we are now. And I think, you know, there are probably people out there that owe him an apology. Yeah, I fully agree. I mean, I think Phil Neville's greatest trait is that he is a coach of the players. He isn't this type of coach who is going to stun you with, you know, absolutely fantastic tactics or, you know, come out there with some, you know, Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola type stuff and just blow you away and go, you know, wow, he is a master tactician. No, I think Phil Neville's greatest trait is that, you know, he can work with his players. He knows that, oh, yes, you can't treat everybody the same. You know, you can't treat Joseph Martinez the same that you treat, you know, Ian Frey. Oh, they're two totally different people with two totally different demands and, you know, two totally different expectations. So, you know, it's really interesting to see that from Phil and see how now that's translated. Oh, that's translated into a perfect start to this season and a overall extremely happy squad. So, I have been saying it for, you know, two years now that a lot of people owe Phil Neville some apologies. I think this year he is proving that to everybody that, oh, yes, you know, he knows what he's doing. He's a confident coach and that, you know, he can turn around and do things like, you know, provide the right amount of support that players need and, you know, get their best out of them by doing that. And I mean, I think that his tactical, I think he's shown a very strong tactical mind. And I know we were made, we've made jokes on here, you know, over the last season um, that, you know, he's always playing somebody in position. But when we look at what happened last season, like he just didn't have the players to play all 11 positions on the pitch. Like he didn't have a natural left back for 80% of the season. You know, that's why Christopher McVeigh was always playing out of position. Um, you know, those gaps have been filled. And I think the learning experience of, you know, the 2021 and then the 2022 season, you know, he got to play with, with tactics and formations because he was basically trying to fit square pegs into round holes and, and trying to win games and, and build some sort of identity and cohesion. I think we saw that actually play, pay off this past weekend because, you know, we have a one nil, we have a one nil lead, you know, coming out of the, out of the, out of the break, you know, Philly really turned on in the first, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes of the second half. You know, putting us under pressure, controlling the game, uh, playing up tempo, and you know we were standing. We you know we stood firm. You know we the, we played well. But then Stefanelli or not Stefanelli, um, you know, uh, Coco gets a knock, Negri gets a knock. You know they both end up having to come off. You know losing. You know immediately, what do you see happen? McVeigh slides out left. Sailor comes on. He come. He now becomes the you know the the center back pairing with um, you know with Kristoff, and you know within the next three minutes, you know we make another tactical save, uh, tactical change, and we move from a four in the back to a five in the back, and 
we saw this team play with those ideas and we saw Sailor spend time in a three and four back lineup. And so his comfort level with it, even coming off the bench, even not having seen really any minutes at all this season, he played really well. Um, and McVeigh, we can trust him to at least stop gap in on the left-hand side when necessary. And what happened? We, we changed the tactical formation. You know, we went to a five, four, one. And, you know, as soon as we did that, you know, Taylor's uh, on bombing down the left-hand side and he comes up with his wonder goal and Philly basically was out of it at that point. And, and that, you know, Bryce Duke was extremely good this week, I think in controlling the midfield and, and, you know, bringing counter pressure um, to, you know, whenever there was a turnover, really turning and going upfield and making them track back. I think Lassie did a really good job um, of occupying the defenders, you know, challenging with his, with his speed, being in good, you know, dangerous spaces. And we know that these players can do that because Phil had to experiment for so long last season to kind of get a whole, you know, get, the you know the identity of these guys and what exactly that they can do that now he feels comfortable making these kinds of extreme tactical shifts that aren't to just you know shut down the game and say we're going to be a wall but still allow us to play attacking progressive soccer and bring the game to them just with the identity of the players being changed and and modifying that formation i think that 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 again is something Phil doesn't get enough credit for. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, fully agree with that assessment. And, you know, Phil saw that, you know, yes, we were getting battered on, you know, Saturday, you know, coming out of the half. Philly really put the pressure on. And not only did this squad absorb that pressure and not really give Philly any chances, but the second that he introduced a player like Robert Taylor, who kind of changed the dynamic of how Miami played, it completely opened up Philly again. And oh, of course, Taylor scored a you know, absolute worldie to, you know, make it two nothing. But in doing so, oh, Philly looked kind of lost for the you know three four minutes that Taylor was on. They couldn't adjust to the fact that Miami went from playing centrally and compact to now, all right, we're going to play wide. We're going to play a 5-4-1. We're going to you know, tell you to come at us, and we're just going to drop deep and then hit you right away and you know, now hit you wide. And oh, that just shows that you know, Phil does know how to read these games and you know, read to turn around and do what's necessary to kind of change up a game and catch a team on uh you know kind of on their back foot and surprise so it's really refreshing to see and it's refreshing to see that you know Miami can do that they can do that in the middle of the game you know in the 60th minute we can go from a 4-2-3-1 to a 5-4-1 and not just play defensively, but turn around and change the way that the entire game is played and really catch these teams kind of just watching the game at that point for a good five, 10 minutes until they finally figure out, wow, okay, you know, this is what we're doing. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think that you know, it's not just you know, it's not just the 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 five four three, but uh, a four three three. I mean, like the the amount of flexibility that this roster has formationally. Um, you know, I, I going into the season, I kind of predicted that that was one of the things I was going to be watching. You know, was to see that, like, you know, I, I the guys are there to play definitely the four three three because we saw it a lot. Um, the fact that you know the four two three one is working so well, I didn't I didn't anticipate it looking this good this early, and you know. Now I'm kind of I feel better about you know what a a four four two diamond will look like you know now that I know kind of what the the skill levels are of a guy like Stefanelli, um, and in bringing in Leo into the squad like that will add yet another dimension that no one has seen yet you know and and you here we are two games into the season sitting on six points you know going for nine and we still haven't seen, you know, our, our DP signing from this, you know, from this last winter. And, you know, that's, that's really encouraging. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's especially encouraging to see as, you know, I'll use this as a transition to our next topic. You now, as we enter a busy year with, you know, us open cup leagues cup. Oh, it's nice to see that, you know, we can play multiple ways and get production outside of our star players and, you know, still be a good competitive squad, especially, you know, when uh, with U.S. Open Cup, with League's Cup, Miami could be playing, you know, 45 games this year. And, you know, that is just absolutely huge is to see that we have a deep squad and, you know, on that note, League's Cup uh, matches were announced today. Miami will play their first two matches of the League's Cup at home at DriveKing Stadium July 21st and 25th. On the 21st, they'll be playing Atlas FC from Liga MX. And on the 25th, they'll be hosting Atlanta United. So well, that is a competition that in a year like this year, Miami's going to have to choose basically two of three competitions to go for it in. And if it's me, I'm choosing U.S. Open Cup. And with how our form's been in MLS, MLS Cup. But League's Cup is another relatively easy way to get access into the CONCACAF Champions League. The top three teams from League's Cup the champion, second-place team, and third-place team all win automatic entry into the CCL, with the first-place team actually getting a bye into, I think, the second round of CCL. So, oh, it's a tournament that, if Miami's able to turn around and compete in and find success in, could be a very easy way for them to turn around and get CONCACAF Champions League qualifications going into the you know 2024 season where they potentially have a guy by the name of Leo Messi on the squad. 
And not only that, but, you know, we open this by hosting. You know, we are a host site for that group stage. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe you posted something about this earlier, that um, we, we would get all the way through to the quarterfinals, potentially, before we faced a team that would require us to play on the road, correct? Is that Did I get that right? So... Hosting in the round of 16 and onward will be by their 2022 record. So up until the semifinal, the only match, the only two matches where Miami would not host would be against Austin or Dallas. So Miami could go all the way to the semifinals hosting every single game at Drive King Stadium, where for two years in a row, Miami's been an absolute, oh, menace to play against yeah yeah i mean we we've you know drive pink has been has been a real fortress for us and if we keep winning it's only going to get you know stronger and become a harder place to play uh, for opposing teams um as far as like making a pick as far as which competition to to focus on um it's hard to say how League's Cup is going to look because we've never seen it before. Um, I agree that uh, U.S. Open Cup, I think as far as the, the, the trophy I want in our cabinet, I want U.S. Open Cup in our, in our cabinet. And I think with the depth of the squad and the fact that you know, there are so many other paths to CCL now that it may be easy that may actually become the easiest path to getting some silverware, you know, this season um, and potentially even moving forward. But, you know, I, I just don't see Phil or, or the guys on this team prioritizing one or over the other. I think they're going to want, they they're at least right now seeing how they're playing, seeing what the attitude is around the club that, you know, if this if they can keep this up, they keep this energy up, they stay in, in a top three position, you know, these guys aren't used to winning. Um, and they certainly don't want to go back to losing. And I think that that might give them kind of that adrenaline boost to say, like, no, we want, you know, we want to play in all of these matches. And, yeah, I think rotation will obviously have to happen. And But I, I don't think that, you know, I think it would be a blow – to the the kind of ethos of the team if you know Phil was like all right we're just putting out a full B side and you know a couple of our you know you know Fort Lauderdale CF squad you know on the bench for this match I don't think that these guys have too much pride um and you know barring a collapse which absolutely could occur I don't see I don't see them wanting to do that yeah, and I mean, I, you know, can't see, I, I can't see many squads, at least for the first game of League's Cup, putting out their B teams. Now, I think there's only one first ever you know, true League's Cup. I think a lot of squads, at least for the very first match, are going to be like, all right, let's play our A team and then I'll see where they land from there. Oh, but. I do think at some point you have to prioritize what you know one 
one or two of these competitions more than the other because you know in a year where you know you can play 45 to 50 games one of these competitions has to be arguably less important just because of the sheer fact that guys need rest guys can't play you know, 50 55 matches in a year because they're going to get injured they're going to get tired so I see Miami, by the time that league's here, uh, we'll be halfway through the season by then. We'll have an idea of where we are, and especially where we are in the U.S. Open Cup. I think by then Miami will make a choice. And in that first match, oh, as much as you know, two matches at home in front of La Familia is kind of Miami's bread and butter, I do think that you know there's a chance Miami does play the kids or you know, play the B team to turn around and you know play out League's Cup and basically say, all right, let's get in and out of here. But, I mean, the thing about League's Cup is, you know, unlike U.S. Cup, there is no – it's not – it's its own confined tournament. You know, the, you know, the league stops, and for the next month, this is what we're doing. And – that, you know, I worry about taking, you know, blowing out the kids in the first two games, not making it out of that group stage, and then having three weeks off, you know, where some guys are going to go on vacation and, you know, they're going to come back and, you know, you got to get them back up to match fitness and they haven't been, you know, cohesive, you know, and they haven't like kept that chemistry going. And I think that like, I, I don't know, there's just some, something about this team right now that I think that they're going to want, they're going to want to push through, you know, this is, this is year four of this project. You know, I will remind all of my old MLS, you know, and, and South Florida soccer fans about what happened in the fourth year of the fusion, you know, U.S. Open, U.S. Open Cup final, um, Supporter Shield winning, one of the best teams that have has ever performed, you know, in this league and definitely up to that point. Um, it was a magical season. I, I hope, I hope that this team wants to uh, gift us the same kind of joy that that team, you know, twenty three years ago gave us. And that's that's really kind of where I'm I'm at. This is more of like a nostalgia trip for me, Trav, than anything. You know, in, in saying like, yeah, I want them to play every single one of these games and you know win all fifty nine of them or whatever. Um, but I, I think you know I, I don't know. There's just I don't know. I, I have this weird feeling, and you know me. I'm I try to be realistic and rational in this, but I don't know. I I've got I've got kind of the bug right now where I'm like, I'm, I kind of want to believe. And I mean, I don't think anybody can blame you for wanting to believe right now with what this squad's shown us through the first two weeks of the season. But you know, we've talked the Philly match. We've talked the NYCFC match. We've talked League's Cup. George, can you think of anything else for this week? Uh, I don't know if this is a trick question or not. I feel like we kind of owe it to the people for a shorter episode after last week's. 
God, I think True. an hour and 45 minutes last week. And, and, and Austin really did bring it. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I think, I think we're good unless anybody out there wants, has any burning questions. Cause you guys have been quiet. I don't know if, I don't know if everyone's just burnt out after, after <laughs> what happened last weekend um, or this pod last week. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, if there's no other pressing questions, I think, I think we can call it a show, my friend. Yeah, I agree with that, my friend. So, given that there's no other pressing questions, comments, concerns, or smart aleck rem- uh, remarks, uh, we'll call it an end to this week's episode of Trav Chat. Thank you again to everybody for tuning in. If you tuned in afterwards and you're listening to the recording on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your recordings, please make sure to follow us on Twitter. I am at IMCF Traveler. My co-host George is at uh, Jorge DTA. Uh, you can also catch these podcasts now recorded on the Inner Miami podcast page on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcast. So thank you again for joining us. We will be back next week as Miami looks to go perfect 3-0 to start the season against the top three teams from last season. So, George, let's end this episode how we end every single one. Vamos Miami. Vamos Miami. Thank you again to everybody for tuning in.